morning, everybody. My name is Simon. If we uh, we haven't spoken, if you haven't heard me before, and I am passionate about discipleship. I am passionate about walking together, and it's not something that I have um, been given from a position of. Uh, major study, but it's something that God has placed within me. It's a, a, a spirit-deepen-rooted uh, thing that he's placed in me, and I think it's because of this desire to see uh, the full body of Christ come into the fullness of who he's calling us to be. He's desiring us to um, to walk together with that fivefold in full unity at work, and um, I just get that great privilege of um, him working uh, in my heart to see that come to fruition. And so tonight I want to speak to you about the life that is found in covenant. And um, to start off with Amos 3, verse 3, in our NLV, says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. Covenant is something that is so precious, so dear to God's heart. Throughout his word, um, we see multiple accounts of, of God making covenant with his people. It starts in the garden with Adam and Eve. It goes on to, um, to Noah uh, and the covenant that he makes with his family, with Abraham, with Moses and the people of Israel, with David, and then we see with Christ as well as he makes covenant with us as his church. And a covenant is an agreement. We have to partner with and agree to be within a covenant. It is a guarantee and God's covenant to us is a guarantee. Maybe some of you need to hear that tonight, that he has done it all for us. It is signed, sealed and delivered by him. It is a guarantee that what he says to us, what he promises to us, is a guarantee. It is something that he is wholeheartedly behind. But I see... Um, something that is so precious in, uh, in what uh, comes out through the, those pictures of covenant that is so um, prevalent and so necessary for us as a body to walk with one another in. And I wonder if tonight we can delve deeper in actually saying that our relationships with one another in the church actually are the things that are representative of the true life that can be found in covenant relationship with one another. What I see happening in the church today, and I don't know whether this is just the posture of a, of a shepherd, and, and as I um, get the chance to interact with other believers and other leaders, is there, is, um, there are innate blockages. Whether that is fear, whether that is um, time commitments, whether that is perception of what God will even do uh, within those covenant relationships. But there is this divide, there is this uh, blockage which we, we come across. Um, I, I 
constantly have um, letters that come um, here to the Rock to ask me to uh, to partner with uh, various organisations, partner with various uh, churches on on projects which they have going, and that excites me. You know, the initial um, uh, uh, idea that gets uh, gets put out, the vision behind that is is exciting. But what I'm interested in knowing is is whether that person, that individual who sent me the letter is interested in meeting, is interested in, in doing covenant relationship to actually delve deeper um, into what it is that God's saying. What is God saying to, to them? What's he revealing? What is it that, um, that he's, he's called us as a community to, to support or, um, uh, or, or partner with in that if he is doing such a thing? And more than often when I pose the question and say, hey, are you willing to go on a journey? Are you willing to, to walk together? There's, there's been a mixture of answers. There's been a, or a resounding no, because all I really want to do is share my vision or share what is going on for us. And all I'm really looking for is if we can get some money from you as a church. Or it's the complete... Um, complete opposite and, and the, the beauty of, of God's heart to uh, actually partner with people and actually delve deeper into, uh, into partnership and, and love covenant with one another that actually builds unity. True unity is what he's calling us towards. So are we a people that are knowing for being Christ's disciples or do we end up actually communicating division and confusion because we don't give true covenant relationship the time of day, the true desire of, of, of heart to heart, spirit to spirit walking together. John 13, 34 to 35, this is what he laid out to us as his people as a command, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What God is revealing to me in this season is that there is a love that we are being commanded to by the commander. That if we, if we achieve, if we choose to, to partner with him on the journey of intimacy with him and intimacy with one another, we'll actually see a transformed church. We'll actually see a transformed community. We'll see a transformed city. All of those things that we so hunger and desire to go for first, but actually forget to do the process of actually walking together and living in true partnership and true covenant with one another. It has to start with him. It has to start with him and is worked out as we are in him, as we're in intimacy with him. It's worked out through these true covenant relationships. So I want to look tonight at some examples of people who, who captured these true covenant relationships. And do you know what? I think on this journey, I'm going to find myself being challenged, and I hope it challenges you as well, 
because we are in such a time, we are in such a season that if we are to be people, excuse me, first time using this, (laughs) everyone will know that you are my disciples. Oh, true, on this one. I can't see it from there, but my eyes are gone. I'm 31. All right, true. (laughs) I won't do that. But if we, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Like, do you think if if we actually captured true covenant with one another through his design of love, through our intimacy of love with him, and that work happening in us and through us for one another, then people will truly come to know the Christ that we're actually believing for people to see. So let's um, let's take a look at um, at our first uh, our first couple in particular. Let's turn to one Samuel eighteen, one to five, and uh, I want to look at the relationship between David and Jonathan. This is a beautiful, beautiful story. 1 Samuel 18, starting from verse 1 and up to verse 5. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Everybody say, loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David Because he loved him as himself. Everybody say he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. Along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Let's just take a quick look at the the background to this story. So in 1 Samuel 17, we know the the story of uh, of David defeating Goliath and uh, the incredible uh, triumph that that was for the um, for the Israelites and a and a and a huge turning point. A couple of chapters before that, we've seen Jonathan and his armor bearer take on um, an entire army by by uh, by themselves. And um, in the lead up to this, Saul is is asking, "Who does this this boy David belong to? Who's who's um, who's whose family is uh, is is David part of?" And uh, and there is a discussion between David and Saul. And so now we come to um, this this place in which um, David is being welcomed as a hero, and Jonathan, from the moment of going. Properly face to face, he would have, he would definitely have heard of the, uh, the, the, the battle being won in such a way. But coming face to face, he immediately becomes one in spirit with David. It's not something that Jonathan could muster up in his own strength, but something that he conscien- consciously would have recognized, uh, a spirit on David that would be joined that cor- that correlated the the desire to uh, for Jonathan to love David in such a way that he would love him as himself their faith 
in God to save them was the same. Their love of, for God was the same. Their devotion to God was the same. And when they shared the same heart for God, Jonathan loved David as himself. When we operate out of true covenant relationship, it means we share the same desires and motivations in our heart because they're fused by the desires of God. We can't, um, like I cannot muster in my own strength to join in covenant with Greg. There will be things that we are in disagreement on, but when we both humble ourselves to the process that God has us on, to place him first, to place his desires first, then we, we actually have the, the grounding, we have the, 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 the correct roots in order to start. And it's amazing that uh, that, that is uh, at work here in, in this beautiful picture. And what I love is um, is not only just in, in the process of making the covenant, it's, it's the actual gifts as well that have amazing significance to what uh, Jonathan gave over to, to David. So first off, Jonathan takes off his robe that he was wearing. You just imagine the, set, uh, the setting. They're in an environment with other um, war commanders. They're in, uh, the, the, uh, they're in a place where there would have been um, people who would have uh, been advising Saul. Um, all of these people of, of high authority would have been in this place. And here is Jonathan. He is the, uh, the son of Israel. He is the one who, um, who will inherit the kingdom from Saul. It is his birthright. But right here, before all of these authorities, before all of these people, he removes his robe, which is a sign of his authority. It's a sign of his uh, inheritance that he is, he is due. He takes that off and he hands it to David. Now, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see it in Scripture. But I, I wonder if, if Jonathan truly knew the significance of what he was doing in preparing David for the appointed time when he would be uh, king over Israel. And, and yet here he is, um, humbling himself, taking um, away the, the earthly, the physical inheritance that is due and handing that over to somebody else. It's like me, um, say Greg is, comes, to, um, comes to me and says, Simon, one day I'm going to give you the, the senior leadership of the rock here. And I go, Greg, okay, awesome. I pray about that. I receive it and, and God speaks into my spirit that that's, that that's truth and that's, that's what's going to happen. But then somebody else comes in. Somebody else comes along that has the, uh, the, the anointing, has the appointing to, to, to be of that position. And that's my... Uh, my choice, my, my honest decision to step aside out of even what has been promised to me in the, in the flesh to allow that person to come in and take, take that role and to not hold grudges, to not hold attitude towards that person, but actually to, to love them, to encourage them, to, uh, to build them up and to, uh, to allow them to walk in the fullness of what God has prepared for them in that position. It's beautiful. 
The second thing that he uh, he does is to give uh, give David his tunic. Tunic um, in the case of um, in the case of Jonathan as a as a war hero would have been part of his armor. It would have been the very thing that protected um, all of his vital organs, all of the things uh, that uh, that the enemy would have attempted to um, attack. And here he is, he's removing his tunic, he's placing it on David, and he's saying, I'm here, I'm being vulnerable before you. I'm opening myself up for the potential to be attacked. I'm, I'm opening up my, myself to, to be vulnerable before you. You have my heart. You have everything that I could, um, I could use against me. My sword, my bow. You have all these things that I could use as a means of defense and I completely open myself up to you. Such a beautiful picture. And I wonder, I ask myself, do I, do I walk in such a way with you as my brothers and sisters where I am completely vulnerable before you? Am I completely vulnerable before my, uh, before my life group, before those I'm in discipleship with, to say, you have my heart, I am completely submitted to the Christ that is in you, to speak into my life, and for me to receive that wholeheartedly, and to, to allow the Spirit to, to bring conviction, to bring transformation. The, the sword and the, and the bow I love because it's, Regardless of whether you're close to me with the sword or whether you're far away, you know, with the bow you can shoot long distances. It's like if I'm, if I'm far away from, from you, my covenant still, still grows. It's still there in place. If I'm close to you, my covenant's in place. And then lastly, gives, gives him his belt. And, um, the, the Blue Letter Bible talks about it being a, um, a, a girdle or something that would actually be uh, used to hold weapons. And in the same way, it's like I, I choose to, to hand over this belt to you um, to say that I hold no weapons against you. I hold no, um, no way of, of, uh, of, of uh, causing harm or, or war to you. And... Um, and that's incredible because I have been on such a journey myself in which allowing the, the freedom of that to, uh, to go is a difficult one. And that's because, you know, I'll be honest, I'm afraid of persecution. I'm afraid of, of what people will, um, will say or, or speak against me if I, if I say something wrong or, or, or stuff up. But this is a posture that Jonathan wholeheartedly hands over to David. And I think, wow, the freedom that actually uh, is walked out in that, the life that is, uh, is obtainable when we say, I'm... I'm not going to, to cause harm against you. I'm not going to cause um, pain against you. I, I hand that wholeheartedly over to you. It's incredible. And the, 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 the amazing thing that, that we see, and, and I'll leave you the scriptures to, to go away, is that 
you know as as we as we journey in true love covenant relationship you know there are going to be times there are going to be occasions when that relationship is tested in the case of Jonathan and David my goodness was it tested here's Jonathan who who has to um battle within himself to side with his father or side with the the man that um he's made covenant with and and it's no surprise to me that we we see Jonathan and David um reconnect and make covenant with one another two further times so they renew covenant with each other three times that first times in 1 Samuel 18 uh 1 Samuel 20 you look at it in verse 16 and 17 and 1 Samuel 23:15 to 18 there is a it's just there Jonathan does he 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 wrestles he wrestles with it but his heart towards David doesn't change can we be a people that despite circumstances despite difficulties that may arise or when truth gets spoken and something within us um rises up that pushes against that can we actually be people that come together wholeheartedly um submit to to God's process and desire for us to to live in true covenant with one another ask for forgiveness and pick up where we left it's such a challenge god is calling us to a place which is beyond convenience come with me to ruth 1 and i'm going to read um from verse 11 to 22 because the uh this woman ruth uh is all about living from a covenant relationship which is completely inconvenient so ruth uh 1 i'll read from um from verse 11 just to add a little bit of uh context but naomi said Return home my daughters why would you come with me am i going to have any more sons who could become your husbands return home my daughters i am too old to have another husband even if i thought there was still hope for me even if i had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons would you wait until they grew up would you remain unmarried for them no my daughters it is more bitter for me than for you because the lord's hand has turned against me at this they wept aloud again then orpa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye but ruth clung to her look said naomi your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her but ruth replied don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you where you go i will go they need to write a song about that where you stay i will stay your people will be my people and your god my god where you die i will die and there i will be buried may the lord deal with me be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me when naomi realized that ruth was determined to go with her she stopped urging her 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. That's incredibly significant, but we'll get to that in a second. You know, when I read that scripture, I think, Ruth, what on earth are you on? (laughs) Here is a woman... Naomi, which means pleasant or pleased by God. She says, no, I'm not having that name anymore. I want to be known as Mara. I want to be known as a woman who is bitter. Bitterness is who I will be defined by. And, you know, come on, let's be honest. Who wants to hang out with bitter people? You know, I am a very bitter person because I'm a Tottenham fan. I'm an England fan. We get bitter. That just happens. You know, it's just something we're used to. I remember as a, as a season ticket holder at Spurs, I used to sit next to this guy and he just would complain for the full 90 minutes of all the different players and, and, oh, he's not good enough. And then bam, he'd go and score and I'd just have this smug look on my face and just go. You need to change your attitude, brother. But I'm also like, why are you spending $1,250 a season and just coming into here and being a complete (laughs) bitter person? You know? But Christians can be the same. They can be the same. I've walked with many a believer who is bitter because of their work situation. Oh, my boss. I wish he wasn't here. Oh, I hate my job. I hate my job. I hate the, I hate the pay. I'm not getting paid enough for this. And, and, you know, I just, sometimes I'm like, I really don't have the patience. I don't have the patience to be walking with you at the moment because, oh, it just, it's just a frustrating thing for me. I just want to be honest with you. But there is something that Ruth saw in this picture. It, that is just beautiful. It was a, a complete relationship that had inconvenience written all over it. There's no physical gain for Ruth in this, for entering into covenant relationship. You know, she's, um, she has, there's the potential there for her just to be a, um, a spinster with uh, Naomi for the, for the rest of her life. She's not bound to Naomi from a physical family sense, her husband has died, um, there, there's no ties um, within, the, um, uh, within the Mosaic law that says that she has to, to stay with Naomi. And that's why Naomi is saying, go back, go back to your people. There's nothing that you have to stick around for um, to, to, to be with me right now. But yet there is a, a beautiful, true laying down of her life that just comes out from this picture where love and intimacy that I believe 
over the 10 years that she's been walking with her husbands and with Naomi's husband and, and just within that family environment she has, has been a part of. Naomi even talks um, to, to both the, the girls about the kindness that, that she personally has received from them. So this is a, a tightly knit relationship that has already been birthed. But we see where love and intimacy and what she has grown to understand of God through, these, uh, through, through this relationship has overtaken convenience. And this humility of spirit just comes forth. It's beautiful. And I, you know, I read that and I go, man, do I, do I carry or hold the same uh, posture when, when I'm with brothers and sisters that are bitter, that do hold grievances? You know, it's, it's, so, it's so easy for us to, to walk with, with people that are doing well, that are doing good uh, in their faith or uh, are going from strength to strength. But what about the people who are struggling? What about the people who, who don't know how to get out of the rut in which they're in? And yet God has placed us in relationship with one another. Not that we would be the people. I'm not a counsellor. He is. <laughs> the Spirit's our counsellor. The Spirit's our teacher. And I am called to... Walk with you as my brothers and sisters because you hold a key which is Christ on your life through the intimacy that you have pursued with him and that's what we're, we're hoping for. That's what we're walking towards that as we are, are intimate, as we're, we're faithful and, 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 and growing to know him through love is being created. And so I get excited by the Christ that is on you. And you get excited by the Christ that's on me. And we partner to pursue him. Not each other. But we partner to pursue him. So I'm challenged. Do I hold that posture? To be in relationship with people who... (laughs) It would seem is completely inconvenient. Sorry, have I done something there? I'll move anyway. Passion and sacrifice in the spirit are both essential for covenant relationship. You cannot separate the two for covenant relationship to succeed. The perfect example that I can think of and use within this is, is my own relationship with my wife. It's a um, it's a marriage covenant that requires um, me to die <laughs> and my wife to submit. You're going to come into this, Sam? You've got to die, bro. <laughs> We've got to... We, we have to, as men, die and submit to what it is that God is calling us into within our marriage and allow him to define the love, allow him to define the grace, allow him to define uh, the uh, releasing and the empowerment to our partners. And for women to trust that men are doing that very um, intimacy um, journey with the father to pursue. Now, I married Emma because 
there was chemistry, there was passion, there was love. I think she's beautiful. I still think she's beautiful. And, and that, um, that still stands. But passion can waver when we get into arguments, when we get into struggles, when we get into difficulties. And that's where sacrifice steps up to the plate. Because when all hell breaks loose, passion isn't going to be the thing that actually holds us together. It's going to be a posture of sacrifice that, um, that helps us to pursue. And it's not why I've so in, uh, intrinsically made a point there that it's passion and sacrifice in the spirit is because it's so not dependent upon our own strength to take us to that place of sacrifice. It's actually allowing him to work um, in us to, um, to understand the sacrifice that he's made for us that actually empowers us. And I, I get greater passion from walking with my wife because of the passion that I have for him and the desire and the love that I obtain through seeking him in his word, through praying and allowing him to reveal his truth, from allowing him to work out his promises in me. And, you know, the same is so important regardless of whether you're married or not. We are still called to um, to seek passion and understanding of sacrifice through what he has laid out to us so beautifully in his son Jesus. They're so essential in walking together and actually seeing these covenant relationships to succeed. Even now, I think we're being convicted where we're sitting of relationships within this body that in the flesh are an inconvenience. <laughs> but Christ himself, himself actually spoke to this, and I, I was looking this up today. If we turn to Luke 6, I didn't include this, but I was looking at it um, just earlier in the week. Luke 6, um, 27, and Jesus is talking about love for your enemies. And so often I think we've, we've encapsulated that as being love for non-believers. Or love for um, people who don't know, um, yes, or people that, that don't know him. But enemies can be within the body. <laughs> they can. Let's read it. I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Man, I've experienced some hate in the church. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other. Also, if someone takes you a cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the important bit, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is, uh, what credit is, it that, uh, is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will... Excuse me. Um, 
and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. That word credit is, um, is the Greek for grace. So what grace is it to you? What is it that actually um, uh, that is being worked out in you to actually um, fulfill that? And, and it's, it's just this beautiful thing. We, we had a message um, a few weeks ago about the importance of abiding in Christ. And it is that, um, that grace that can only come from abiding in him to actually lead us to that place of, of truly um, going to uh, a place of inconvenience, a place of uh, allowing the, the fruit and the life of covenant relationship to come to play. So he's not calling us to the easy. <laughs> he's calling us to be people who will enter in. And, and there is a blessing that is to be received from this, guys. I was just, you know, you look at both David and Ruth within that. Ruth, um, she becomes the great grandmother of the King of Israel. She is grafted into the line of Jesus through her submission, through her humility, through her, her own pursuit and desire to, to live in covenant with this woman. You see, David, he, he doesn't hold animosity to Saul throughout that whole time in which Saul is pursuing him and trying to kill him. He still believes and understands the anointing that's on Saul and respects that to the very day that Saul dies. Even when the opportunity comes to kill him, he says, no, I will not touch those that God has appointed and yet we see the um, the beautiful kingdom that is established through through David. He was a man who was after the heart of God. I want to um, come to this. this. Is just my last point, and um, before we just pray together and and just pursue Him, camaraderie is not the same as covenant relationship. Do we all know what camaraderie is? Camaraderie can be found in all of these different environments. It's a, uh, a mutual agreement or a mutual goal that um, a group of people um, go towards or, or are uh, united in. So we see it in, in sports teams. We see it um, in the workplace. People can have camaraderie in that place. We see it in friendships. There is uh, camaraderie that can be found in heaps of uh, environments. I wonder if you've ever believed that camaraderie can look like this, though. Camaraderie can be in gangs. Camaraderie is very often found within the armed forces in a way in which they are a group of people that are united against a particular foe or a particular enemy. Same as with gangs. 
they're more known for what they're against. They're more known for their, uh, the enemies that they, they hold uh, within their camaraderie. And what the Spirit has laid upon me tonight and why life in true covenant relationship is so important is I'm afraid that we as the church have substituted covenant for camaraderie. We've become a people that are known for what we are against rather than who we love, how we love and why we love. It saddens me that we have so, we've come to this place of, um, of, of judging people when we can't even get it right within our own four walls. And this is why it's so important that relationship that is defined by him, that is defined by his love, that is defined by his spirit, wells up through our intimacy with him so that we're no longer known as people that we're against. Ah, you can't drink. Ah, you hate gays. You hate this. You hate that. Why would I want to come and be part of a community that is so against when actually he's calling us to be people of love? He's calling us to be a people that draw people unto himself. But that won't happen unless we model it, unless we walk in it. If we truly are walking towards oneness, as Christ prayed for us in John 17, we need to seek his heart for how this can be accomplished. I wonder if you'll all stand with me. I just want to read, it's interesting, Greg, you've you prayed and you spoke this just before I got up. And I, I found myself coming to a greater understanding of the scripture, a greater releasing in my own life because I'm sick of playing games. I'm sick of trying to do it in my own strength. I'm sick of trying to be someone that is, um, that is great on the, on the face value but isn't living it from the inside out perspective that is purely devoted to what he's saying in his word. And I'm drawn to this scripture of the Samaritan woman at the well. And, you know, and as was said, it's Jesus' response that is so beautiful. If you knew the God-given gift that is right in front of your eyes and asked me, asked me, for a drink, I would give it to you and it would produce life. It would produce life and life abundance. And so much of my life has been attempting to do it in my own strength. So much of my life has been um, trying to, to love from either a passion of, a, a, a posture of, of passion that gets weary because I get frustrated with people, I get, um, I get downtrodden by the, the lack of change or transformation that isn't my responsibility even in the first place. <laughs> and then on the other flip side, 
from a place of sacrifice, which just leads me down a, a posture of religion and exactly that same judgmental spirit that the church has been sucked into. Jesus answered, everyone, every single person who drinks this water will be thirsty, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Father, as a people, as a body tonight, we want to declare that we are sick of drawing from the well that keeps drying up. Lord, we, I pray that you would reveal to our spirits, Lord, that you are the only one who can satisfy in providing us with the love to love the inconvenient, who can supply the, the gentleness to speak life when life needs to be spoken, to speak challenge when challenge needs to be spoken. Father, your well is limitless. And the life that is found in your well is limitless as well. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that if we are not in the posture of, of understanding how to come to that well, Lord Jesus, would you reveal to us your heart towards us, your God-given gift that is in your nature, that is in your personhood, that is, is so readily available, Lord. It's, it's, it's standing and staring us in the face. But Lord, we need our eyes to be opened. Open our eyes tonight, Lord, that we would see you. That we would receive your love. That we would receive that intimacy. And so, Father, Lord, as we stand together, I pray that we would be people who live in the life that is found in true covenant relationship. Where, Lord, we will go beyond convenience, Lord, where we will uh, operate out of a passion and sacrifice that is found in the Spirit, when we are found in intimacy within you. Lord, we just want to love you. We want to be people who are known for love. And then, Lord, as you said in John, Lord, people will know that we are your disciples. People will be drawn not to us, but Lord, because they will be drawn to the, the glory, they will be drawn to the person of Christ that is in us. And we will see a community, we will see a church, we will see a city transformed because we are after your heart, we are after your desires. So Lord, yeah, continue to do a work in us. I know this is not a one-time fix, but you are calling us into oneness. So Lord, reveal that to us. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.